mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, they say a diamond is forever, even among today's socially conscious generation of young adults who prefer to put their own unique signature on the world. Also this morning in our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, as fallible human beings, we tend to allow ourselves and others to label us in ways that are less than flattering, and in doing so, often limit the potential that God wants for our lives. In our community and business spotlight this morning, with the fundraising campaign complete and the allocation process finalized, United Way of Hancock County CEO Angela Dabosky takes time to thank all of the volunteers who stepped up in a most challenging year. And in our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, Motown legend Mary Wilson, reminiscing about her days as a founding member of the Supremes ahead of her concert in Findlay last year. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, February 11th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for mostly cloudy skies today and a high of 20. It'll feel colder with the wind chill. Mostly cloudy tonight and a low of 15. Ohio's COVID-19 vaccination dashboard shows that only around 6,600 Hancock County residents have received at least one dose of the vaccine. That number is 8.7% of the county's population. The state says the vaccine is now available for Ohioans 65 and older. However, local health officials are still working on getting the vaccine into the arms of older county residents who previously pre-registered. Hancock County health officials say the county hasn't been receiving enough doses of the vaccine to meet demand. Meantime, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost is joining the call to get law enforcement officers vaccinated against COVID. Currently, that group isn't part of the frontline workers able to get shots in the state where there's already a shortage of supply. Yost posted on Twitter asking Governor DeWine why police haven't been a priority for the vaccine. The first wave of shots included firefighters and paramedics. Ohio is expected to lift its overnight curfew, allowing people to visit restaurants and bars after 11 p.m. again. Governor Mike DeWine promised to eliminate the state's curfew currently between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. if the number of COVID-19 patients in Ohio's hospitals remained below 2,500 for seven consecutive days. That number dropped below 2,500 on February 2nd and has remained under that threshold over the past week. That's ONN's Daniel Barnett reporting. Some students in Ohio have suffered academically because of the strains the pandemic has put on education. With the help of state and federal money, Governor DeWine wants schools to make plans to help those students get back up to speed. The future of our state depends on how we help our children today. We simply cannot fail these children. Schools saw a decrease in enrollment by about 3% and more high school students have been dropping out. And the data shows students are falling behind throughout the state. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. It is Fat Thursday today. Did you know that? It is Fat uh, Thursday. Now, normally, it's similar to Fat Tuesday, but Fat Thursday is celebrated in European countries the... Uh, Thursday before Ash Wednesday. So it's it's kind of the same thing as Fat uh, Tuesday, uh, which is this coming Tuesday. But in many countries in Europe, this is the more important day of the two. They actually do celebrate Fat Tuesday as well, but Fat Thursday is the uh, bigger day. So I, I don't think uh, we need I don't think we need any more encouragement than that to go out and indulge today so you 
<laughs> need a reason to uh, hop off your diet and uh, feel better about yourself? Well, here you go. Hey, it's Fat Thursday. I'm in uh, torpedo my diet today. Get out your guitar day today. Giving Hearts Day. It is Grandmother Achievement Day. The International Day of Women and Girls in Science. National Inventors Day. National Don't Cry Over Spilled Milk Day. National Make a Friend Day today. National Shut-In Visitation Day. Those two things, I think, go hand in hand. Uh, visit a shut-in and make a new friend today. It is Promise Day Pro Sports Wives Day. It is Satisfied Staying Single Day. With Valentine's Day right around the corner, this for all of those who are unattached and perfectly happy with that. Thank you very much. And today is White Shirt Day. <laughs> if if you need uh, that, that's for all of those people that uh, just want a, a low key basic celebration. Yeah, we're going to celebrate white shirts. So just a basic white shirt, T-shirt day. Um, so there you go. Some of the uh, celebrations, some of the observances today, if you're looking for a reason to get excited and celebrate on this 11th day of February. As you mentioned, Valentine's Day, uh, just a few days away now. Uh, so it might be a good time to start posting some sweet stuff about your significant other online. A new poll finds that 46% of Americans in relationships say they want their romantic partners to post more online PDA, public displays of affection, uh, on social media. So if you're wondering whether you should do that or not, my wife did that uh, yesterday, uh, posted some photos and and uh, did one of those uh, one of those surveys, uh, you know, about who who wears the pants in the family, who does the shopping who spends more money who's who starts an argument <laughs> all that she did one of those and it was cute and apparently uh 46% of Americans are okay with that not only okay they actually want their special someone to post more online pda um the average social media user who is part of a couple posts about their significant other between 3 and 4 times a month but while nearly half want more online PDA, 27% say they want their partner to post less about them. So I suppose you should probably find out before you go posting about your special someone online which camp he or she falls into. Poll also finds 51% of social media users admit judging people who post about being in a relationship too much. 49% say they assume a relationship might be in trouble if neither member has posted about their partner in the past six months. I don't think that I've posted about my wife in the past six months. I rest assured we are just fine, in case you were concerned. Overall, 36% say they usually enjoy seeing romantic posts on social media. 24% say they dislike it. So, uh, whether you like it or dislike it, we're coming up on Valentine's Day, so you're just going to have to live with it. It's kind of like uh, around prom and graduation time. Everybody posts pictures of their kids. It's just something you, just a reality, <laughs> something you have to deal with. No matter how you feel about it, it's going to happen. The uh, CDC has now updated its face mask guidance. Dr. Rochelle Walensky made the announcement yesterday 
noting a recent lab experiment found that placing a cloth mask over a medical mask or using a medical mask with knotted ear loops and tucked in sides decreased exposure to potentially infectious aerosols by about 95%. The guidance advises adhering to two important steps. Number one, make sure the mask fits snugly against the face. And number two, pick a mask with layers to keep your respiratory droplets in and others out. Now, they do advise against using two disposable masks. They say the problem here is that they are not designed to fit tightly enough and wearing more than one will not improve fit. They also do not advise combining a, an N95 mask with any other mask. So I guess if you're you know, wearing the, one of those uh, N95s, then you're, you're fine with one. But the latest CDC guidance uh, is indeed for double masking. And that uh, has been a conversation uh, over the past couple of, uh, couple of weeks. Should you or should you not? And when they say, this is the thing, and I've never uh, really known, maybe we should find out, maybe we should ask somebody about this. They say, making sure the mask fits snugly against the face. How snugly are we talking about? Because I have, a, like most people, I have a number of masks um, that I will wear. And uh, because it's not like you just have one pair of underwear, right? So anyway, uh, I've got a number of masks and some of them fit more snugly than others. I have uh, a couple that when I put them on, they kind of smash my nose against my <laughs> against my face. Is that snug enough? Uh, is that... Is that too snug? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we do what we can. Being stuck in lockdown is not uh, the best thing for everyone. We have talked about that quite a bit over the past several months, about uh, some of the negative consequences of being stuck at home with nothing to do, no social interaction with anyone outside your family and so on. But a new study out of Great Britain shows that some people have actually come away from the pandemic lockdowns with what they are calling post-traumatic growth. The lead researcher of the study, Dr. Paul Stollard, says many respondents in our study emphasized what we had heard anecdotally about some of the positive effects the people have derived from leading their lives in quieter, slower ways because of the lockdown. And these are important findings, the doctor says. Growth includes positive changes in attitudes to new restrictions and expectations, reconsideration of what's really important in life, the adoption of a better work-life balance is another big positive. The co-author of the study, Dr. Ana Pereira, says it is important, especially in these moments of high adversity, to find meaning and purpose in these experiences. Other good things that people reported experiencing as a result of the lockdown, growth in family relationships, a spiritual growth. Many of us have uh, come closer, drawn closer to God, a greater appreciation for life, and discovering and embracing new opportunities and possibilities. So, there you go. I guess uh, it's not all been bad. There have definitely been... And it is uh, worthy to point that out. It has definitely been some advantages for some people. 
And, well, I think everybody has had some good come out of this at some level. But at the same time, I think we're ready to get back to a more semblance of normal in any event. By the way, speaking of, uh, speaking of normal, uh, Tom Brady celebrating the other Super Bowl win has become something of a recurring theme. Uh, that's normal. It's, it's another Super Bowl win for Tom Brady. Uh, did you see the uh, the photos, the video? I don't. I saw photos. I don't know if there's video of this. Living dangerously and celebrating his seventh Super Bowl title during yesterday's boat parade in Tampa, Tom Brady caught on video throwing the Lombardi Trophy to longtime teammate Rob Gronkowski on another boat. He just tossed the trophy from one boat to another, and that Gronk made the catch, so the trophy did not fall into the water or crash on the side of the boat or something like that. I guess it if anybody could do that, it would be Tom Brady. Because, hey, if he breaks it, he's got six others. So, <laughs> uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers were having the parade on the Hillsborough River to celebrate their Super Bowl win because of the COVID-19 pandemic. They couldn't have a traditional parade, so they did a boat parade because, you know, they're in Florida and they can do that. Um, it wouldn't have worked quite as well in Kansas City, probably. <laughs> but uh, in any event, he's just kind of tossing around. The, I guess when you've got seven of them, it's you know it's like that. There you go. Some of the most uh, interesting, buzzworthy stories. Get your Thursday morning started. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Well, Valentine's Day, a popular time for popping the question, and as the familiar slogan goes, a diamond is forever. But just like everything else, trends and styles change over time. Ten designers have reimagined the iconic symbol of commitment, the diamond engagement ring, for a new generation of couples using sustainably sourced natural diamonds. And here to tell us about it, one of those designers, Marla Aaron, along with De Beers Group spokesperson Sally Morrison. Sally, what is it about a diamond that makes it so so timeless, even as, like we said, as those styles and trends change over time? Well, I think the diamond itself is the iconic symbol of love. And a diamond engagement ring is, is a way a couple sort of connotes that moment and commitment to each other. But also it's a symbol, right, to their family and friends and community that they've made this commitment. So for this 1010 project, um, we wanted to take that iconic symbol and, and work with some of the most creative people working in jewelry today and say, what would you do with this symbol to make it relevant, to change it? to make it new and fresh for another generation of consumers. And I feel like coming out of last year and lockdown all around the world, the world changed and people wanted something different. So, so this was a project to sort of say, this is something new, it's exciting, it's positive. Yeah. So Marla, talk about how, uh, how you reinterpreted or reimagined uh, the traditional diamond engagement ring for this new generation. 
Uh, well, you know, it was a really, first of all, it was a huge honor to be a part of this project with the nine other designers. And for us, we decided to take the ring, a ring that we already make, which it's a little hard to talk about in the rate in on radio <laughs> but i'll explain it to you yeah um the ring actually opens like a puzzle like a compact and inside Ooh. can be engraved a personal message so it, and the and the stone holds the ring like a clasp like a like a closure mm. so you have the beautiful diamond on the outside and on the interior you have a message and it seems very fitting because Really, one of the, the most thoughtful jewelry buying moments is the moment of buying an engagement ring and making a commitment to someone for forever, for life, or to be partners in life. And the idea that you could take that most thoughtful moment and inscribe it on the interior of a ring uh, that you would wear is, yeah. is a beautiful story. I, I love that it sounds like such a unique design itself, and then to take that to the next level with a uh, personalization on that level, I, I can see that really resonating with a lot of young couples today, because it really uh, ticks off all of the boxes. Absolutely. Be- being able to personalize and say something, say something intimate, say something funny, really ask, you know, say yes in mm. the ring itself yeah. is really beautiful. That is uh, that is really uh, really cool, uh, Sally. Talk a lot uh, a little bit about uh, the why you felt and and this has been a, a big issue in the diamond industry in recent years. Uh, talk about the importance of telling the story of the uh, diamonds of Botswana. Well, I think I think that what some people don't realize is that that, is that many diamonds come from countries in the world where communities are totally dependent upon them, right? Um, they tend to come from remote parts of the world where there aren't a lot of other alternatives. Botswana is a particular example of that in that a third of their GDP is based on diamond revenues. Their whole society for the last 50 years has been built on diamond revenues. So all the roads, hospitals, uh, medicine, schools, everything in Botswana is thanks to the diamond industry. And like us, Botswana were locked down to last year. We were talking to a lot of colleagues down there. Um, the De Beers Group was very involved in, in, in getting resources to, to all our producer nations, you know, um, medical equipment and things like that, cleaning stations, washing stations, all those kinds of things. But it was clear that promoting the diamonds when the world opened back up was going to be important too because that's what flows money into this country. So we wanted to tell that story. It's a complex story. I think it's a not very well understood story. And we felt like working with really dynamic, interesting, creative people, would they would tell the story in a more interesting and more compelling way than we could on our own. So that's really where the sort of inspiration for this came from. And uh, obviously, again, talking about uh, making all of this resonate with a new generation, we know that uh, the younger generation, much more uh, socially conscious and want, uh, wanting to make sure that uh, people are taken care of and, and treated the way they should be. So an important part of this as well. Now, we mentioned there are 10 design uh, in this uh, uh, project, and like uh, Marla was saying, it's, it's tar- hard to describe these uh, on the radio, but you have uh, more information about this project and the designs and such on your website, I'm assuming, right? 
We, we do. Um, th- this is actually an exclusive to BlueNile.com. So over okay. on BlueNile.com, you will find out about all the stories of all the designers, uh, Lola Fenhurst, uh, Michelle Fantacci, Pamela Love, Platt Jewelers have done something very, very interesting that's vintage-inspired. If you're, if you're interested in vintage, Aurora Lopez has done something with an African uh, tribal motif. So go to BlueNile.com. You can see the whole range. I mean, they are all very, very different, and they all symbolize this moment in, a, in, in, in an interesting and powerful way. And you'll be able to see all the pictures, all the rings, the inspiration. And I would just say, this is a limited edition. There are only 10 of each. So um, you shouldn't sort of hang back, go and check them out now. <laughs> because when they're gone, they're gone. And this is a very special thing. And Valentine's Day is coming up very soon. So you want to act immediately. That's right. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. There you go. Uh, De Beers Group spokesperson Sally Morrison, along with designer Marla Aaron with us uh, this morning. Ladies, thanks both for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Now to our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning. As fallible human beings, as we all are, we tend to allow ourselves and others to label us in ways that are often less than flattering. Take the millennial generation, for example. Lazy, broken, entitled, lost. Just a few of the many labels that millennials have been given and ways in which sometimes those in that age group even describe themselves. But those labels are not only unfair and many times inaccurate, they can also limit the full potential God wants for all our lives. Correspondent John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping the Faith. Arden Bevere, co-founder of Sons and Daughters and son of John and Lisa Bevere, confronts those labels for millennials giving them the freedom to understand their God-given identity. I was actually asked by my oldest brother to do a kind of thing that would reach out to the young adult generation. And I remember I went in and I went to Facebook, you know, an accurate you know, example of trying to pull some questions. And I asked people, I said, you know, hey, if you could describe the young adult generation in one word, what would it be? And I remember that question got a big influx of responses, and they were all things that were negative. Bevere has taken all those negative words to redefine them with the truth from God. He compiled them all in his book, Redefined, Confronting the Labels that Limit Us. Remember, God gave me the scripture in that moment. To, uh, there was the scripture of First Peter, and it talked about, it said, but you are not those people. You are a chosen priesthood, a royal nation. And I remember what God told me to do is he said, take down all of those words and begin to write out those words and begin to write out what I speak over this generation. Bevere uses the words as new labels to redefine them to help readers understand what God is calling them to be. I took a word, I break it down, I show you what the world says about you, what you maybe have believed to be true about your life, and I flip it and show you what God's calling you to do. Redefined is a book that will dispel many of the labels society has placed on millennials. There's been a lot of labels that have been placed on our generation, you know, labels maybe about being racist or or broken or disillusioned, things like that. 
And the problem is, is a label is something that the world puts on you. God does not label us. He calls us sons and daughters. And a label speaks to who we have been right now or who we have been in the past. And a calling speaks to the eternity that he's placed inside of our heart. The world should not be used to label us. Hey, the problem is, is our generation does not know what the word of God speaks over us. We are going to take in whatever we hear from the world and believe it because we don't know what the Word of God says. Bevere's book, Redefined, Confronting the Labels that Limit Us, was written to challenge every generation, especially millennials. And I think right now we have a generation that is listening way too much to what we're being called on social media, what we're being called by, by maybe the most recent podcast we listen to. We have all this information that's at our hands, and we have not taken hold of what the Word of God has said about us, because that's where the transformation happens. Our guide should be the Bible, not social media. We have allowed social media be the thing that's going to dictate our life. You know, the opinions that people have of, you know, the maybe 500 people that are following you, you care more about those people's opinions than you actually do, whether what, what the Word of God says or what family says. In many cases, Facebook causes more harm than good. Never have we seen a generation before be able to impact someone's life all the way across the world through a post or through a a quick story or a quick message. Um, And so I think the enemy has tried to pervert it um, and use it to cause more harm than it actually can cause good. Even Christ was able to avoid labels. See the story with Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus, when he's finishing in the wilderness, the final days, the enemy comes to him and he tempts him. And he says, if you are truly the son of God, attacking his identity. And I think that's what the enemy does to us. And I love Jesus's response is he doesn't say, uh, you know, he doesn't show some cheap display of his power. He doesn't say, you know, hey, I know I'm the son of God. He simply um, cites scriptures back to him. Elders look to boomers who look to Gen Xers who look to millennials to carry on the faith. There's a lot of justified reasons to think, you know, hey, this, this generation maybe does not have the capability to carry that out or is, or is, you know, kind of picking up these new different gospels, not reading the word of God for what it actually is. And I think it's time for our generation to confront those labels and to redefine the narrative that's being written over us. Here's how to get more information from Arden Bevere, author of Redefined, Confronting the Labels that limit us. They can find out more information and get in touch with me through ardenbevere.com. This is John Clemens reporting. You might remember earlier in the week, we looked at the food price forecast for consumers at the grocery store uh, in the coming year. What about the forecast for farm income in 2021? It's kind of the flip side of that same coin. Here's USDA contributor Gary Crawford with today's Everyday Agriculture Report. When it comes to farm income in 2021, according to the USDA's first forecast for the year, we're going to have another above average year. Even though farm income will be lower than it was last year. This from USDA's chief economist, Seth Meyer. USDA forecasting net cash farm income this year at $128.3 billion, down almost 6% from last year. Meyer says this will be an unusual year. Commodity prices much higher. Overall farm income still lower. Because government payments are trailing off, uh, assumed to trail off from things like coronavirus food assistance and market facilitation payments of the prior years. 
Palmer is likely to get 45% less money in government payments compared to last year. Meanwhile, farmers will sell more product at mostly higher prices. Total cash receipts up $20.4 billion, up $11.8 billion for crops, and up $8.6 billion for livestock. Mostly driven by rising prices for hogs on the livestock side, corn and soybeans on the crop side, and higher cash receipts overall. And that is one reason that Seth Meyer says even with a drop in overall income, This is a good sign for the health of the farm economy. It shows there is a strengthening market for farm commodities and there will be, hopefully, less need for dollars from the government. Now, of course, a dollar from the government and a dollar from the market spends the same, but you feel a lot better when a dollar of it comes from the market. So again, it looks like a pretty good income year for producers, but profits might be squeezed a little bit because for the first time in about four years, total production expenses are expected to climb by $8.5 billion from last year for an increase of about 2.5%. Meyer says it will cost U.S. livestock producers a bit over 3% more to feed their livestock than it did last year due to those higher corn and soybean prices. But livestock feed is just one item on the list of expected production cost increases. We also have increases in labor. We've seen fertilizer costs jump, fuel and oil. So we've seen energy, an expectation that energy costs will rebound in 2021. Forcing producers to spend 7% more than last year for fuels and such. Labor costs will be up by about 4.6%, fertilizer by 6 livestock purchases by 3.6%. Just about the only costs expected to fall this year, seeds and net rent. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Speaking this morning with United Way of Hancock County CEO Angela Dabosky, and you recently wrapped up the United Way uh, fundraising campaign, obviously, uh, back in December. You've uh, now, what, I guess, uh, done all of the allocations and and, uh, all of that for the partner agencies, partner programs. Time to give a big thank you to everybody who had a hand in making that happen. Absolutely. We could not do this without the generous support of our community, whether it's uh, corporations or the individual donors. So we knew that uh, 2020 was going to look a lot different all of us have that understanding, right. right? So we prepared our partner agencies for that. There were several fundraisers that we weren't able to have, but we were still able to bring in about $2 million to make a measurable impact in our community. That's something to be proud of in a year of COVID, especially. And as we said, it's not just, well, certainly uh, kudos and a big salute to everyone who donated uh, to make uh, all of this happen, uh, but also to the volunteers who are out there uh, hammering away at the campaign, all of those who served on the committees to Uh, disperse those funds. Uh, It's just a huge number of volunteers that make that happen year after year and especially in a challenging year like this. Between the campaign teams and the grant allocation teams, we've had over 100 people in the community involved in this campaign in one way or another. And then you add on the corporate involvement and the ambassadors that we have within companies and that number just multiplies. So we want to say a big thank you to each of them. So it's not just the donors, but it's the folks that are out there speaking advocacy in our community that are making an impact too. Uh, well-deserved hats off and salute to all of those who made it happen. And of course, with the campaign over, uh, people shouldn't think that you're just sitting around the rest of the the rest of the year until the next campaign comes up. As a matter of fact, a big focus on volunteerism in the month of February. It is. And so we were able in 2020 to 
provide over 5,000 volunteer hours to our community. And there's impact in the resources of manpower, of people getting behind and saying, hey, I'm going to step into the gap that, you know, some of the funding left for 2020. So we've done over 5,000 hours last year, which was remarkable, um, but we did it safely. You know, we partnered with the public health department to say, how can we do this and not expose unnecessarily our volunteers? And the community has stepped up and said, yeah, I have this service, I have this ability, how can you use it? And so United Way has been this, this hub of hope that we've seen of people just stepping up in amazing ways in our community. And that'll transfer into 2021 as well. So are there specific areas of focus with respect to the volunteerism that you're uh, looking at uh, moving forward in 2021? Right. Well, anyone who wants to get involved can call our office and we will connect you. We have a volunteer coordinator that can um, kind of assess the things that you would like to do. You know, some people like to stuff envelopes and others want a project to do or maybe they're financially based. So we'll help to match you within the community to something you'd like to do if you want to use a certain skill. But then there's also programs that we're rolling out for students. Um, a lot of students want volunteer hours. We know that it impacts um, getting into colleges and career choices. Sure. So we want to provide that exposure. But then we're also going to create a program this year that helps to develop leaders in our community. So how do we take somebody that's interested in being on a committee or a board and help to develop their um, their skills and talents in that way and then say, give them opportunities to look for their passion in the community so that they can support it with um, board and committee service. It's really part of the larger mission of matching individuals who want to impact their community with uh, the the ways that they can do that. And again, it's not always uh, financial. It can be uh, with volunteerism. And that is uh, just, as, just as big an impact as a financial gift because those who are doing the volunteer work uh, take a burden off of agencies and organizations who don't have to pay someone to do that work. Right. So United Way for years has been measurably improving people's lives in Hancock County in the areas of giving, advocating, and volunteering. And if folks want more information, perhaps they would like to volunteer or learn how to get involved in some way, how do they do that? They can call our offices here in Finley or they can explore on our website at liveunitedhancockcounty.org. Again, United Way of Hancock County CEO Angela Dabosky with us this morning. Angela, thanks very much. Thank you. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's report on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. A couple of uh, Coast Guard stories in the broken news this morning, which is uh, kind of uh, different, uh, unusual. Don't have uh, the Coast Guard uh, often in the broken news. Coast Guard is working overtime at Lake Superior in Minnesota on Tuesday morning. The Duluth Fire Department says they learned that there were uh, some fishermen in trouble reportedly fishing in individual fish houses before the ice broke loose from the shore and began drifting into the lake. Within an hour of arriving, crews with the Duluth Fire Department, along with the local police, St. Louis County Sheriff's Office, the Mayo Clinic Ambulance Service, and the U.S. Coast Guard were able to rescue the stranded fishermen. And what was interesting about this, uh, not just one person or two people, 26 fishermen (laughs) were stranded on this 
uh, on this block of ice that, that broke off and was drifting into the lake. <laughs> 26 of them. This uh, was all less than a week after a similar incident in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, during which three separate ice flows broke apart from land and 66 anglers had to be rescued. So it's definitely been uh, working overtime to rescue these uh, fishermen. Here's a here's a tip. Maybe ice fishing uh, in uh, Lake Superior, not such a good idea right now. I mean, you would think it would be cold enough, but uh, that's... 80, almost 100 fishermen they've had to rescue uh, just in the past week or so. Speaking of the Coast Guard, Coast Guard officials were conducting a routine air patrol on Monday when they noticed movement on what should have been a deserted island in the Bahamas. It turns out three people had been living in a uh, in this uh, and this island is a tiny chain of islands between the Bahamas and Cuba since swimming there after their boat capsized in choppy water five weeks ago. They've been stranded for five weeks on this island. It's a real-life Gilligan's Island kind of thing going on here. The first clue was a large makeshift flag spotted from the air on Monday. A helicopter crew, upon spotting the flag, dropped a radio, food, and water, and soon learned that the Cuban nationals, two men and a woman, had been living off of coconuts, conch meat, and whatever uh, animals they could trap for 33 days. There's a report from uh, NBC News in the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Rescued by the Coast Guard. Had a real-life Gilgan's Island thing going on. That's, that's crazy. <clears throat> wonder they rescued uh, Ginger there. Who's a movie star, professor, and no. Um... Here's how you know that your day is not going to go well. A crash early Wednesday morning off Sheridan Street near 20th Avenue in Hollywood, Florida. The driver of a big rig told local news reporters he was hauling fertilizer while traveling along the road when he spotted a red pickup truck speeding in the other direction. He said the driver lost control, crossed over the median, and crashed in front of a home. He said he had to stop his big rig suddenly to avoid being hit by the vehicle, and that caused the truckload of waste to spill out, covering his truck and the pickup truck. The pickup truck driver casually walked away from the scene after the crash. It took a while to clean up, and uh, police are still on the lookout for the driver who fled, asking anyone with information to contact them. I would imagine that he should be... Fairly conspicuous. If you have noticed somebody covered in uh, <clears throat> fertilizer, <laughs> you probably smell him just as well as you can see him. I want to call police. That is a bad way to start your day. A truckload of fertilizer. Yikes. Uh, and how about this in the broken news? You talk about taking a grudge to the grave. An elderly man, uh, 79-year-old Joseph Stroud, um, is accused of leaving more than a dozen dead animals on an old neighbor's grave, pleaded guilty on Monday. Mr. Stroud was found out after the granddaughter of his deceased neighbor contacted police back in July after two months of finding 
dead animals uh, on her grandfather's headstone. Uh Report is that the woman told police that her grandfather and Mr. Stroud, who had farms next to each other with a shared boundary, never got along with each other. <laughs> I guess not. Uh, not only did Mr. Stroud place dead animals on the headstone, he attempted to do it incognito by wearing a wig, all of which was eventually caught on camera. They set up a hidden camera to figure out what was going on. Mr. Stroud uh, agreed to a plea deal lowering his charges from a felony to a misdemeanor. He admitted to causing more than $2,500 in damage to his former neighbor's headstone. Um, he uh, was charged with defacing objects of public respect, given a one-year suspended sentence, and he will have to pay restitution. As part of the plea agreement, he also must surrender his driver's license because of his mental health issues. <laughs> Man, that is taking a grudge. To the extreme, isn't it? I mean, placing... Yeah, they never really got along. <laughs> I guess not. There you go. That is today's broken news report. A service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You can help recognize outstanding teachers in Findlay and Hancock County. Nominate a current teacher who made a difference in your life for the Finley Rotary Club's Golden Apple Awards. Place your nomination online at finleyrotary.org. Nomination deadline is April 2nd. Please promote the work, dedication, and achievements of all teachers by nominating an excellent teacher for the Golden Apple Awards. This message provided by WFIN. Your daily download this morning. The numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives, really kind of interesting, especially in light of uh, the impeachment trial, the second impeachment trial of President, now former President Trump, uh, that is underway uh, in uh, the Senate. A new poll shows that Americans are not feeling very confident about our country's democracy right now. Just 16% say that democracy in the U.S. is working well. The Associated Press Nork Center for Public Affairs Research Survey finds that 38% believe it is working only somewhat well, and nearly half, 45%, believe that our democracy is not working well. Now, there was some partisan influence on the results, as you might expect. 68% of Republicans saying in October that democracy was working at least somewhat well, but that number plunged to 36% in January. Gee, what happened in January? The inauguration, right. Um, by, by contrast, just 37% of Democrats said last October that democracy was working at least somewhat well. And that number jumped to 70% in January. So almost a complete reversal. Whatever they feel about how our democracy is doing, the poll showed Americans do have strong belief in democracy itself, with 80% saying a democratically elected government is very or extremely important to the nation's identity. Additionally, 88% said a fair judicial system and the rule of law are very or extremely important, and 85% said the same about individual liberties and freedoms as defined by the Constitution. Interesting numbers, but I want to know who are the 15% who don't think that those things are important to the nation's identity. Anyway, interesting survey results are daily download this morning.
We mentioned earlier in the week with the sudden passing of Mary Wilson, who is a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member of the Supremes, that in late 2019, she was in town for a concert at Weinbrenner Auditorium. You remember that? And with most entertainment events being canceled last year, that would turn out to be one of her final stage performances. Well, prior to that show, we spoke with Mary Wilson on this program about her days as one of the original artists who created the Motown sound. From October of 2019, it is today's Throwback Thursday. Do you still get the same kind of thrill <laughs> that because you've done this for many, many years in front of all mm-hmm. kinds of audiences, is is it still as as much fun to get up on stage and perform as it has always been? Yeah, I, I guess I'm one of the lucky ones because I, I kind of ended up in a in a uh, with a career, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, in something that I really enjoy. And uh, most people, you know, you have to work to pay your bills. I kind of ended up in a career where I enjoy it and I don't have to worry about <laughs> uh, uh, it, certain things. Because, yeah, I love it. I still have a great time. Uh, like I said, I'm very fortunate because I actually, absolutely enjoy being on stage. And uh, coming there to your your fair city is going to be fun because it's close to where I grew up, you know, yeah. Detroit, Michigan. Sure. And, uh, yeah, so I... I I still have so much fun. Of course, uh, this all started when you were uh, very young, and and well, a lot of the artists, most almost all of the artists uh, in those early days of Motown were very young. What are your earliest memories uh, from that time? Well, first of all, let me just say that it, it, We the Supreme started out back in 1959. Uh, mm. Wow. And so it, it took us a long time before if many of us became famous. You yeah. know, well, we didn't become famous until 1964. Mm-hmm. So we had lots of time to, to just enjoy doing what we were doing, learning how to perform. Mm-hmm. We had great teachers. And so we all kind of grew up together, and we had lots of time to learn our craft, and it was so much fun. Uh, lots of people, Mary Wells, the Four Tops, the Stevie Wonder, the Miracles, mm-hmm. Martha and the Vandellas, the Velvetlets. I got it. You know, so we all kind of, Marvin Gaye, we yeah. all kind of hung out together and grew <laughs> up together. It really was the sound of young America and coming along at a very critical point in history. It, it was, and it has even remained that, the sound of young America. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it was kind of one of those things where the new sound of Motown was one of the sounds that was becoming a sound of America. Because, you know, you had later on you had the Nashville sound, you know, you had, you had the, the, the British invasion. So you had right. a lot of different sounds coming in, mm-hmm. and Motown happened to be that main one of a sound of America, which became... Uh, sort of international, I could say. You know, really, uh, the world was looking at our sound. And for the last how many years now? I, I've been in the business 50 well, some years, 58, I think. And that's so, the yeah. thing. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not not just the the sound of that era, but it has survived and, and is so uh, revered now as such classic uh, music. I mean, certainly, you couldn't have known at the time that what you were you were doing not only resonated with the the young people of the day, but would still be 
so well known and so lovingly remembered to this day? Well, you know, as I mentioned, we all were very young. Mm -hmm. And who's thinking about the future? But we were kind of having fun. Yeah. You know, I, I had the pleasure of actually writing two books about Motown. And my latest book uh, called Supreme Glamour is a book, uh, it's a coffee table book. But it is about just what we're talking about, how that um, Motown and the sound of Motown uh, kind of evolved with all of the, you know, the different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And when you mention Motown, you think possibly only because, you know, Barry Gordy, but all the people who were there, all the different kinds of people who were there Mm -hmm. uh, to help make that Motown sound the Motown sound and the sound of young America. You know, it was just a lot of young people who were fortunate enough to have been given this great gift. I think uh, we all uh, were given a a gift of that that great music uh, that endures uh, to this day in the late Mary Wilson, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member of the Supremes from October of 2019. Uh, into reminiscing about her days, the early days of, uh, of Motown in today's uh, Throwback Thursday. And by the way, uh, she referenced her book, Supreme Glamour. We have that linked up at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. And that puts a wraps on our podcast for today. Remember, check out our webpage for more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show, goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, Contact us directly via email from the website and sign up for our daily email newsletter as well. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.